Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your home studio in the school's legendary marathons and learn from dedicated artists and to expand as makers. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present a wide range of art-making strategies combined with comprehensive critiques and inspirational discussions. Paradigm-shifting discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies in understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon. Generous, partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Simfewe Mbanyuza was born in Butterworth, Eastern Cape, South Africa, and lives and works in Norman, Oklahoma. He's been the subject of exhibitions in the United States and internationally, including recent presentations with Diamond Gallery, Stellenbosch in South Africa, South Willard in Los Angeles, and Gallery 1957, London, and Accra, Ghana, and is a recipient of awards and residencies, including the Red Clay Faction Award and Oscar Jacobson Award from the University of Oklahoma the Fred Jones Museum in 2019, and a residency with AIR Valaris in France in 2017. He's currently a resident artist at the Archie Bray Foundation in Montana. We spoke about making sculpture, working in ceramics, big kilns, Oklahoma and South Africa, music's importance, and much more. Here's our conversation. I've been following your work online for years now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm just really interested in the work and it looks amazing. And I, it's like I've seen, I feel like I've seen it like changing 
just by watching mm-hmm. on on Instagram and watching your posts and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sure. But so, where are you now? Are you in Oklahoma? Currently, I'm in Montana in Helena at Archibray. Oh, you're at the Archibray. Yeah, I'm with the Archibray. So, so um, I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's like nice to be around here. Yeah, Currently, and you're. Is it a group of like a certain amount of people, right? For each, like yes, residency. We, yes, long-term residency residents are like uh, ten, and they are short-term resident artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are probably around six now. I don't know. We are expecting ten, but I think we have six yet that arrived. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, uh, and Montana is amazing. I don't know. It's just so peaceful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different it's, speed, you know? <laughs> it's very slow. Yeah. Slow speed. Mm-hmm. Which I would imagine is good for being productive. It's really good for creativity, for being uh, uh, here because it, 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 there's not a lot of things distracting. So right. it's a good place for creatives. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I haven't done many um, residencies, but when... When I did Skowhegan in Maine, I mean, that was a life changer because it you just, you know, and this was in the late 90s. So there was no real internet. The internet really wasn't like a thing, you know, mm-hmm. so there's nothing to do. You're in the middle of Maine in cow pastures, just hanging out with a bunch of other artists making art. It's great. You yeah, wake up, yeah. you eat breakfast, you go make work, you go eat dinner, you go back, you make work. There's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's It was a beautiful time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that way here. Yeah. So, um, so you, you work with clay, but you, I mean, you're making sculptures cause I've, I've seen, and I think you refer to yourself, your work as sculpture, but it is a ceramic element to it. Is it how, is it always ceramic? Or are you working with a lot of different materials? Mm, yeah, I, I, I work with different materials like steel, leather, fabric, uh, wire. Uh, so uh, but mostly, I there are pieces that I find it very suitable to add uh, some uh, certain elements uh, that I, I get outside clay, which is like steel or leather or fabric or wire. Yeah. But not in every piece I make, I use those. Uh, it 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 depends. Uh, it depends. Do most pieces have a ceramic element to it? Most pieces are just pure ceramics. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, well, let's get into, let's go back in time to where you got mm-hmm. before you were, you know, making artwork. So, um, did you grow up in South Africa? Yeah, I grew up in South Africa, uh, Eastern Cape province mm-hmm. in a small town called Butterworth. But uh, I've, I've been raised in a village which is closer to Bada with about uh, we're about twenty kilometers away. Yeah, and yeah, I was raised there yeah, by my grandmother and I think my father and my mother were young. They were still yeah. going to our high school by the time, so I would live behind with my grandmother. So she basically yeah. did most of the raising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. what was it like as a kid? I mean, were you 
you know, I guess, you know, tying into creativity and how you started, I mean, most kids draw or like play with materials or, you know, or creative as kids, but how did, uh, were you always, you know, creative in that sense? Yeah, I've, I've been creative because it starts by making cars with wire mm-hmm. and then you drive them as a boy. Oh, so wow. you see, yeah, you see young, uh, older boys that knew making like beautiful trucks and cars with wire and then you want to do it and then you try and make one and, and that's where skill comes from or, yeah. or those are the things that uh, revealed certain skills in us. So we would we'll, we'll make those uh, wire cars and drive them. And then as, as you grow old as a boy, you end up being allowed to go uh, to the river banks, uh, look for, look out for, watch the livestock, not to go to the fields and eat corn, whatever is planted there. So during that process of time, you are with the older boys than you, and they would go and swim. And when they are tired of swimming, they, they would dig clay and make cows and make horses, the things they loved, they wished to have at the time. Yeah, uh, and then in that during that time you are watching them, and you 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 also make you get inspired and you make. That's where it's, uh, in creativity uh, began. Right. Well, I, I would guess that um, you know, depending on what the resources are when you're growing up, you know, making sculptures like that out of the materials that just are are around you is the mm-hmm. is the cheapest freest way to make things you know what i mean as opposed to like even drawing if you're i mean you know you you need drawing papers and Mm -hmm. tablets and all that stuff but i don't know it was sculpting kind of the first thing that you were doing just because of like you know the stuff that's around just doing it for fun Uh, sculptor uh, it it was uh, it began at walter Cecil university when i enrolled for fine art studies and then our first year, they taught they taught us the throwing on the on the wheel. Right. Base, actually, the basics: uh, coiling basics, slab basics, making stems uh, with clay. Uh, those basics, and then the second year, and it's it's kind of like slow. But the third year, it's where you choose. They in second year they introduce you to sculpture. In that right. year, it's either you choose that path or you choose a different path. So I chose the sculpture path. But um, uh, after that, uh, I, I ran I ran with it and, and had more ideas. That's when I was in Walter Cecil University. That was 2013 when I was working on sculpture. And I kind of like introduced the leather in my work because my theme was based on ostrich farming, which was... Um, inspired by the story of my grandfather who they were doing farming. So yeah. I would I would make a sculpture with ceramics and then use leather, stick it there. And and it looks like it's just one thing, uh, but 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 I've sticked leather in it. But when you look at it it's like I've carved something out in because of the texture of the skin of an ostrich. So from there I evolved and kind of like introduced uh, steel in my ceramic works and and uh, 
I'm not really always doing that, but in certain pieces I do, like in incorporate some some other materials. Yeah, when you were young, you know, before you were in college, you know, when you were growing up, um, what was your? Were you seeing artwork? Like, what was the idea of quote unquote art? You know what I mean? As we think of it, like, how were you encountering that at all? Was it sort of in more day to day stuff, or were you, were you seeing, um, yeah, like what was your visual stimulus as a kid? You know, mostly because of the things as I've said that we loved as young boys, like there are cows in the villages, go mm-hmm. yeah, there are horses. Uh, you see a cow once in a while. It's not something you see every day. Uh, you see a truck once in a while, and then. Because my grandfather and my grandmother, they were teachers, they were teachers. So they had a little library at home where I would go and page those old books and see, and see like if I get a biology book and it has pictures of animals there, especially horses or cows or whatever, agricultural books. I want to draw those things. Yeah. I would get a pencil and, and draw those things, looking at the book. And uh, I would want to go and make them with clay when I'm with the boys in the river. So uh, it, it sort of began to be something that I wanted to do every day. Yeah. Uh, to a point that when I was at school at Kelly JSS, my English teacher, Mrs. Sihlali, I think she was a an artist by profession, but she happened to teach English in primary school. Mm-hmm. And she was, yeah, she was teaching us English. And then as she was teaching, I would be drawing underneath my desk with my, <laughs> with, with my book there. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah. And my friend, Smoothie Sofetman would do the same. She was more, she was drawing like big feet guys mm-hmm. wrestling she was she loved wrestling so i would be inspired also by him looking at, at his drawings and then i would also draw and she would he would also draw in class then the teacher realized that there's something that we're doing behind the desk <laughs> <laughs> and then she pretended it as if she doesn't see and and caught us eventually and took our sketchbooks and and then she told the class that everyone must draw. She gave us a plain paper, papers A4. Mm-hmm. And then we drew. And then she collected all the papers. And, and so we were very skillful in class. And she formed a group of about six or seven to teach them because she saw that we have a skill. Yeah. Uh, and then because they art was not part of the school curriculum. So she made time during the weekend on Saturdays that we should go to school. When there was no one at school, it would be only us and her teaching us more about art. And then she taught us and we went for competitions. We won competitions and we were traveling within Eastern Cape uh, competing with other schools. And, and so that's where it, it began it was more instilled in me and and um, groomed by yeah. her. 
Well, I guess yeah. I was really lucky that you had this English teacher who was like on the side, like an art teacher. So yeah. where some people might've seen you sketching under the da- table and been like, <clears throat> you can't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You pay attention, but she was probably secretly like, oh, this is great. You know, they're artists. They want to make work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's advantageous. Yeah, because it also gave her, I mean, time. I, I think she had the studio at, at home, but then she she found this team that she can always work with, which is young kids, and 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 it sort of uh, closed that void of uh, not uh, operating under your people's life. So I think her people, her people's what is not really to maybe teach English or whatever, but to be in art space. Yeah. So we sort of closed the gap of her being uh, active in a different space away from art. So she really loved to be around us and we're always there as we work. She's also working and enjoying yeah. some, yeah. Well, that's really great because it's so um, important to have someone who sort of champions artwork or mm-hmm. lets you know it's something you can do, you know? That's like, yep, yep. like to foster it and to support it. And a lot of times people don't have that. So they just kind of like, you know, put it in their back pocket. They're like, okay, well, I like doing that, but that's not something you really do, you know? Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of a nice thing that she was there to do that. As a, um, <clears throat> as a parallel, growing up, was music important in the family and the house? Or like, were you listening to music? Growing up, uh, music, Basically, in our culture, is is a very important uh, thing. Uh, I I didn't grow up really into music, but as a matter of fact, I don't know how to sing. I would run away from from uh, teachers who would uh, ask me to go and join the music, the choral music uh, group, mm-hmm. to teach me. So. But I, I I loved the I loved to sit around people who were singing, especially older boys who were singing their songs and enjoying their their uh, boyhood uh, way of 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 doing things and singing and and so on. But I wouldn't sing, and, and they would also use drums and guitar yeah. and dance and dance. It was really good to to watch them do that uh, at home my grandfathers were more skillful yeah they but in terms of woodwork yeah and uh, agriculture yeah right. so at home no music no one really is into music yeah. or likes to sing uh but I enjoyed, but in my childhood, uh, it was something that I enjoyed when I'm around people doing it at a particular time. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's because, you know, a lot of times people who are creative or artists have that connection to music because it's another creative thing that's sort of like a parallel mm-hmm. um, thing. But it sounds like, I mean, I know that in a lot of African culture, music is not something that's this external sort of event it's tied into a sort of day-to-day ritualized creativity that's like in a form of expression within the community as opposed to you know this mm-hmm. thing outside of 
day-to-day life of like oh well that's a song that someone recorded in a music studio it's more of like just playing you know to as part of ritual so i didn't know if that was something that was part of the community or something that you experienced outside the home in that sense yeah 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 music does really play a huge role in your creative space especially when you are in your creative zone and studio doing your thing there music helps a lot It, it, it awakens your spirit and it keeps it alive it makes you move and you you end up uh, not realizing that you spend 13 hours 20 hours in studio <laughs> yeah yeah it gets yeah, you in that flow working. state <laughs> yeah working flat mm-hmm. so yeah music i really love music i listen a lot to music especially when i'm working and walking taking long distance walk yeah yeah and, and do you dance. are you are you pretty diverse in what you listen to or are you pretty um, focused in on a certain kind of music? I, I listen to different music. Some music I listen to, I don't understand what they are saying. I don't understand the language, but mm-hmm. I love the songs. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, the rhythm and, and, and the beats, the, this and that. It, it sort of uh, does something, uh, even if you don't hear the, the lyrics. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's nice because you're not... I mean, some people love instrumental music because they can get, especially when they're working, because the the narrative of the lyrics won't distract them. You know what I mean? They could just hear the music mm-hmm. and feel the, yeah. the rhythm. But I love listening to music from all different cultures and like languages. And I most of that stuff I can't understand. I mean, I can listen to like Korean or Japanese or, you know, French, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's just nice to hear. And sometimes it's really nice to not listen to the lyrics and just kind of like hear yeah. the melodies and stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you want to also listen to the inner voice from from yourself, from within you. But playing something, maybe slow jazz depends the mood. Yeah. And yeah, and just be able to to hear voices. Right. Uh, to 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 have ideas coming mm-hmm. yeah it's good um so it sounds like when you went to college you went you know for art and you were really able to start you know expanding the ways that you're making and and try new materials and you know was that a big shift between you know growing up and the the things you were doing in school with your teacher or, or doing those competitions and then you know I would imagine maybe there was more resources. Usually when you go to school, there's more facilities and resources to expand your practice. I mean, was that something that you were doing in, in school? Well, yeah, yeah. At school, you got introduced especially to things that you never thought of. As I've said that, we used to go to the riverbanks, make cows and, 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 and uh, horses with clay. And we yeah. thought that was the only thing. I thought that was the only thing you could do with clay. Uh, until I went to Walter Sassoul University, that's where they actually introduced us to the various uh, ways of working with clay. Throwing. I, I never knew that the, the plates that we use, the ceramic plates that we use mm-hmm. at home, could be made by clay or the cups and so on. So uh, I was like, wow, I never knew about this. So 
even in painting, I only thought you can use brush and and just paint realism. And then you introduced also to abstract painting using yeah. palette palette knives and and this and that. So it it uh, being around being in a space of creative people and people who have been in the field longer than you, it helps you to to cultivate more from your abilities. Yeah. So by the time you graduated, what, like, where did you work? Where was your work at? You know, what was it kind of like when you graduated school? When I was at Walter Cecil University, uh, I I learned to be very disciplined. I was a very disciplined student. I was, mm-hmm. I was always in studio, spending my time in studio, making work. By the time I finished my BTEC, my my ceramic pieces were already looking like they have been made by a person who have like fifteen years experience in the field. Mm-hmm. It they are the it was a good quality that yeah. could go and stand in the market and 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 take me to to places. So yeah, I think that really helped me to be disciplined, stay in studio, make work, and, and that that put me to a, that sort of uh, put me forward with ten years. Can say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some of your work is is pretty large scale. You know, um, was it like that? You know, at school, were you scaling up some, or was it still kind of modest in its size? At school, they would they were saying my work is big, but when I look at it now on my images, it, it was small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all relative, right? <laughs> yeah, the, even here, as you, when I got here at Archibald Foundation, uh, mm-hmm. the kiln was very big. Yeah. And then now that I'm making pieces, the kiln is becoming small. Yeah. Right. And the first piece I made was big, and the second was bigger. And then the kiln now is starting to be small, and the scale that I'm working on is is becoming small. I want more. I want a bigger kiln. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's always that thing, that growth. So I think it's the same thing that happened at Beckett University that those pieces I was making were big because we, that was the only big kiln we had that could fit those pieces. And 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 then when you are exposed to a bigger kiln, you make bigger works until it becomes small and you want more bigger and bigger. Because in the process of making big sculptures, it reveals your your abilities of creating and controlling the the walls of the piece that you are building, and, and it makes you to be patient enough to 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 work on on a piece and to listen and and be able to see where it wants you to go or to stop, uh, to carry on, and so on. And that, yeah, and that helps me. I mean, that's scary. It's funny because, you know, like in painting, when I work small, 
I feel like I can kind of compose the piece, you know, it's, it's, it, it's easy to sort of orchestrate it. But then when I work really big, it's visceral. It's like I'm moving and it's, everything's like me scale, you know what I mean? Which totally changes my uh, orientation to the work. And I think when people see work that's bigger like that, they have a different uh, reaction to it when it's almost like their size and they they feel like they yeah. can sort of walk into it. And I imagine it's the same thing with the tactility of, you know, these sculptures these and ceramics. It's like, you know, when it's smaller, you feel like you could hold it and it's just something you could put on a desk and sort of consider. But when it's like you sized, you have a totally physically different relationship. And in making it, you have a different relationship physically in scaling up and working that big because it's it's more physical, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, especially here, when you build, you have to consider also the fact that uh, you have to use the forklift so that you can be able to drive the piece into the kiln. So you have to build it from a, a, a bit higher a mm. level so that you can be able to, to scoop it easily to the kiln. And when you build it, that brings it the height even more. And when you're standing in front of it, it's like overwhelming, very big. Yeah. And, and you need more room to move around. Uh, like painting, when you paint, you can't be always in front of the paint. You have to move back, see what's going on. So big sculpture right in front of you, you might not see clearly. So you need to move back a bit because it's, it's too big in front of you. Yeah. And you want to control and get the right shape you want. Yeah. So, I, but it's fun. It's great. It's, it's enjoyable. Yeah, it's a challenge, I would imagine, too. I mean, I, I teach at Penn State, and we have a pretty good ceramics department there. And when I was a student there for undergrad, I took a ceramics class, and I was not that great at it. And the thing that I found so hard was that the kiln and the, the fragile nature of it, like, it, you know, things can break and you don't know exactly how it's going to, there's a real element of chance involved. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. you kind of like hope everything works out once you put it in there. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine working that way all the time. Although I'm sure it's exhilarating whenever one comes out of the kiln and it, it's just like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's it. You know, it must feel great. But yeah, you know, it's when they're that big and there's so many things that could go wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Especially trying to control the drying process has to dry very slow because you don't want it to crack. Uh, But there are ways to easily fix cracks even before firing on greenway and even after firing. Yeah. But but you don't want that to happen. You wish it could just go in the kiln without cracks and out of the kiln without cracks. And uh, currently, there's just minor, minor cracks that I've experienced that you don't even have to worry about fixing. Yeah. Yeah, but not major cracks, you know, because uh, I fire very slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we shoot... Uh, Sculptors were like, I, I kangled them for like two days and then fire the third day. And then four days is enough for the, for the, for the big pieces that I'm making for the biggest kiln that we have here at Shibuya. Yeah. 
So are there, that are there also, ever people? Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, is there ever anyone in line who's waiting and they're like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> Been in there <laughs> you for sign days. up. You <laughs> sign up for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is funny. It's a totally. I mean, I'm joking, but it's a totally different speed. You know what I mean? And and then in yeah. that collaborative environment, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's but a real community. You know, I think ceramicists have mm-hmm. that kind of bond of that. You know, mm. when they're working together around those kilns, I, or at least that's the sense I get from where I teach with the ceramics department yeah. is, you know, it's this kind of like symbiotic relationship where everyone's chipping in on things. It's kind of a nice vibe, you know. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, uh, I'm the only one that is making most of big works, mm-hmm. a lot of big works, and firing more in that kiln, and with another lady that does also bigger ones but she's not uh, making more big pieces maybe two uh, maybe two ones after three months or, yeah yeah it's cool so i can say i'm i'm good with occupying the kiln that's good <laughs> yeah um more, so you've done a lot of have you done a lot of residencies i believe you have right or you've done a few Yes, after my BTEC at Watersesul University, I went to I went to Cape Town. My my professor Pumlani Mbanya advised that I should go to Cape Town because there are more tourists there. And then I made work. I took the work from Eastern Cape to Cape Town to penetrate the market and introduce myself mm-hmm. in the art space. And then. While I was doing that up and down, trying to pave my way up, I got an opportunity to go to France. Uh, I did a residence, my first residence with Eve Loris in the south of France. Nice. That's where I met Stuart Asprey from, from uh, the University of Oklahoma, where I did my MFA. Mm-hmm. And we were working together in studio. He was also there as a, as a resident artist. And I told him I would like to go and study abroad and learn new skills uh, from a different cultural perspective and learn new ways of working and how to make glaze, but more particularly wood kiln because I wanted to go back to my small town, Butterworth, where there are industrial factories that were shut down um, or failed years ago. And... Mm-hmm kind of like reuse them and, and makes like ceramic industrial area that would make homeware plates and cups. But then I realized uh, wood kiln uses lots of wood. Yeah. And it, ma- it made sense why here in USA they have lots of wood kilns because there's lots of wood, mm-hmm. Which in South Africa, I would struggle to get lots of wood to do those firings. Right. Uh, yeah. So I ended up not seeing it as a practical thing to go back and do a wood kiln. Uh, it's better to just use electric, electric kilns back in South Africa the day I do that. So, yeah, I, I, I spoke with him. Uh, along those lines and he said uh, you should probably uh, apply 
at Walters, at, at the University of Oklahoma, and other universities. Uh, there are lots of universities that you can apply. Then I went back to South Africa. That was a year in 2017. In August, we left France. And then in January, he realized that I didn't apply. <laughs> because the applications were yeah, getting yeah. in and he could see that Simpoe is not yet applied. So he would email me and ask me, did you apply? And I'll tell the truth, no. And he said, no, you should. The, the due date is closer. And then I don't apply uh, because I thought hey, it's going to it's going to give me hard times because of funds to go and study there. So no one would support me because I'm the oldest at home, and they are looking from from my pocket to support them too. So it's it's going to be quite an expensive exercise for me. Yeah, school's expensive. But they, yes, but then he said, "No, just apply." Uh, he kept on asking as the the, the dates were were approaching the due date, and I ended up applying. And I got accepted, and then that's when I, I, I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma because he he played a very huge role, Stuart Asprey, to make sure that I get the Pasali, and we I got the G, um, the graduate assistant teacher position, mm-hmm. so that would pay me monthly stipend which helped me to rent and, and, and survive for living. And then during that time at OU I would make work and and, and sell some pieces and, and then I find I found a way to pave uh, towards the market here in the USA and it worked well and everything went well. Yeah. Was it yeah. a I would imagine that's a big culture shift. <laughs> South Africa to Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma is, uh, I mean, it's Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, it's especially in Nomen. It's more like here. Yeah, they are both yeah. slow and not busy, nothing much to distract. Uh, but because it's a university there, uh, there are lots of students. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. but but our, our ceramic faculty was outside the university within the university but not a bit um, distance away from where every student go to class and everything there so the only building that was there in the center of the university was the those who were painting drawing printmaking sculpture and everything but ceramics was a bit further and it was close to where i stayed 10 minutes with the bike from where i stayed my apartment so it was it was hard at first because i was away from people i know yeah. to a place where i only know stuart and i've, I've met him for one month uh, and uh, it's not like i'm there and he's going to always around me i have right. to find myself a way of living and and adapt to to the environment, I mean, which which was quite difficult at first, but I ended up being used 
to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's always yeah. hard that that shift mm. of environment mm. where you don't know anyone. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also strengthening your your mentality because if you are mentally weak and you might end up going crazy in a very yeah. quiet space and you are alone most of the time working and have no friends. So you just have to find a way to balance things. Yeah. Mm. Did your did your work shift a lot with that totally different environment in the school and in different facilities, or was it pretty much were you able to to keep the focus on what you were building on from before that? Uh, I I don't I don't think I heard you clearly. Oh, did your work change a lot? Because you changed, I mean, Oklahoma is such okay. a big new play. I mean, it's just a, a totally different environment. Did that affect your work? That change okay. of environment. I think. I think when you work under, what can I say? Depression. I was not depressed, but I'm making an example. Or me being in a different cultural area, mm-hmm. being away from home. That that actually makes you to work even more harder in studio mm-hmm. and you become more creative. You you break into other walls very fast because the only way to to survive here is just to make use of your time in studio. Right. And yeah, and make work and and and, and get into rooms that you, you you wouldn't get to it's very fast. So the work based on on on, on uh, my finishing didn't change. Uh, I stick to my cultural elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just dig more uh, ways of of uh, how Kosa people lived back in the days, the things they used, and and I used more of those into my work. But I stick to my culture, even shapes. Uh, but I, I I found growth in being around people like Stuart Asprey, Doug Caspier, Jamie, and other professors who are around me in terms of those critiques and the skills and the challenging me uh, to, to shift from certain shapes that they've seen often. Uh, me doing them so they challenged me to come up with more ideas more shapes different work and it sort of helped me to to grow but i did all that within the context of my culture right i didn't i didn't i didn't deviate from my culture yeah yeah because sometimes when you go somewhere it's a completely different environment you you find a lot of comfort in what is familiar with you in your memory or your you know your aesthetic or the things that you respond to and also and to your point it's like you can find kind of like a comfort in you know just the work like doing the studio thing like do you know that is can be i remember when i was an undergraduate at penn state and i first started you know in the bfa program in painting i would stay over the summers and everyone left it was totally mm. empty. I was so lonely. There was no one around, but I would just go to the studio and paint all day because that was the thing that I was comfortable with or that, you know what I mean, felt like uh, familiar. And I so I felt left 
less lonely when I was making that work, you know? Yeah. 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 It does happen. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it also allows us to find ourselves when we are in our own zone, in our yeah. own space, have conversations with yourself and, and you have, you have, you have, um, questions that you you try to answer by yourself uh, and, and 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 it allows you to to be more creative and, and takes you to a different level yeah. yeah i think i think that also is needs one to be well disciplined and and be consistent and teaches you th- those lines mm-hmm yeah, yeah, you definitely have to motivate mm-hmm. yourself. You know, you have to Motive be your best yourself. coach. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because <laughs> no one else, I mean, when everyone else is off doing their thing or, you know, it's like it's between mm-hmm. you and like, okay, I got to go to the studio. I got to do this, you know, and just keep pushing through. Yeah, and and people would, would say back at home, how do you manage all these things? Right. Yeah, you you go to gym, you, you look, in a good shape, you're consistent in gym, discipline, and in studio, discipline, you're making work, and you are teaching, you are also attending classes, you are also involved in projects back at home. How do you manage all this thing? Like, I think being in a different environment where you know no one, you end up using your time right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get lost in the things that you're interested in doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Instead of yeah. distractions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you kind of and like then, lose yourself in that, which is yeah. nice. And things happen. Yeah. yeah. Things happen. Yeah, sure, definitely. Because, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I used to say to my uh, friend that uh if you if you are going somewhere in life and you know that you're going somewhere in life you you don't want to always get in an environment that will easily be distracted yeah. or all always being out of that line because you miss two or three days out of your line out of studio or whatever your profession is, you are missing probably an idea that would have come during that period of time. Right. But it didn't come because you were in a different space, which sort of distracted you. And the consistency in thinking, it it you can see that I'm going to break into another great idea you can feel it and in that moment or that period you want to be alone working all the time until you get to that idea but if something's if something comes in and distracts you from that you might come back and 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 and, and take a different path which leads you in a different way and you miss a great idea and then you see someone else doing that 
think that came to you first. that should have came to you first right yeah, yeah i think i think those who are really um resourceful and talented mm -hmm. are those who have distractions they like because they have to let's say they have a day job or they got to work or they have to do this or that just because they have to do it but they utilize mm -hmm. that as inspiration as well to mm -hmm. channel that into the work you know what i mean which isn't yeah. easy to do but um mm -hmm. because not everyone is gifted in the sense that they have all the time in the world to just sit and think and you know and mm -hmm. some people are busy, but those who, even when it is, there are distractions, they are still able to like focus in on that. That's, focus, a, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they are, yeah, they are distractions in many forms. And, and even when you have no one, no friends around, like basically here in, in Montana, Helen. I can't say I have friends where we go out and hang out and, and just enjoy life outside studio and so on. But still, there are things that chip in that can easily distract you. And you, you by being uh, limiting things like going out a lot, partying or whatsoever, I don't say those things are wrong, but you limiting too much of that gives you less distraction and yeah. and can help you and there's there's time to say okay now i'm taking a break right. um, yeah i'm taking a break uh, one month break and and i can and go out there and enjoy life and do whatever i want to do but when i'm here working I, w I don't want anything to distract me right that's like the good yeah. distraction is like the uh like if you go on a trip you know and you get out of the studio and you're you're just like mm -hmm. traveling seeing other things sometimes that can be a really good distraction in a way because it gives you that sort of mental break from the studio and it gives you um it sort of recharges your your visual you know, yeah. life in a yeah. way, you know, I love traveling yeah. because I'm, I'm, I'm not in my studio, so I have to take yeah. a break, but I, yeah. I look and see new things. So that gives me new ideas and new experiences mm -hmm. to just, yeah. you know, fuel the, the visual fire in a the way. Visual. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's very important. Also, you can't always be in studio all the time working. Right. You, you also need to go out there and just, forget a bit about the studio and, and, and go out there and get inspired, see other things and do something different. And when you come back, you come back fresh and with new ideas and better energy than before. And yeah. It, it, I, I, I sometimes look at my work when I'm, I'm working consistently, like say two months flat working. Towards the end, I can see my energy dropping. And I don't apply the same energy that I applied to the previous pieces. Yeah. And you can look at the piece and it still communicates with you that you need to do this there, you need to do this there. And when you look at this thing that you're going to do, it's it's a lot because it's a lot because your energy is dropping. And and you you won't give give it the best of you and and and, and good time 
that it, it, it gets to where it's supposed to be. Right. And then you, you ended up dropping it there and there and not putting the things that you have to put because of the energy. And, and the energy may not necessarily be physical, but mentally, you, you are mentally just tired, you see. Right, yeah. You, you just need to get away. Yeah. yeah so it's a- when I get... When I get to that point, I I leave the studio. Yeah, that's recovery, right? It's like exercise. You know, if you just keep exercising, you know, give Mm -hmm. yourself that recovery time, you don't have a chance to rebuild like your your muscles to sort of rebuild and your every. And it's the same thing with, you know, making things. Like if you never sit back and, or like you're saying, if you're making a painting and you never step back from it, look at it. You know, your whole life is right here. You know what I mean? And you're not seeing the bigger picture. So it is really important at times to be able to to step back, you know, or take a, take a breath, you know. But what are you up to now? Like what's going on with your current process? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm currently uh, doing some big pieces, uh, which is also motivated not only by my artistic uh, abilities, but also by the exposure of being around the kilns, the big kilns, yeah. of which uh, I've been around quite big kilns, but each time I'm in a new space, there's a bigger kiln. There's a bigger kiln, which motivates me to go even bigger. What's, which is the, something what's the largest size that you've been in? Like, what's the biggest you've been able to, to do? It's a... Uh, twin. 62 inches okay uh, by 47 inches wide yeah so last time it was probably around 50 inches tall mm-hmm. yeah yeah by probably 35 to 40 yeah so, so you're, this you're time kind of thinking of of the work within that that's the thing you you kind of have to sort of plan things out or you're probably inspired by the scale that you're able to work, not just what you envision? Uh, I think even back at uh, the University of Oklahoma, uh, I've wanted to to explore some certain ideas that I had in mind and in my sketchbook, but I felt like the, the kiln size were a bit limiting me because for me to express when making other pieces, I have to not worry about the size too much of the, especially when it's too small, medium kilns. Those were big, they looked big, but for the pieces I wanted to make, I needed just to be free and express myself freely without thinking about size and measurements. So uh, here in Israel, when I did some uh, residence with Bezalel Academy, they had a big kiln, which helped me to to kind of like revisit certain ideas I had of uh, monument monumental figures that were were symbolic to my ancestral forms that I imagined them to be. Yeah. So even here, even here at uh, at Chipre, I'm kind of like trying to give my ancestral image a certain form, how right. I imagine them uh, uh, 
to they look like when I'm thinking about them. Yeah, so is it kind of a combination of, you know, a sort of memory experience of like visual things from, from like growing up, and then also sort of an, like an imaginative, like is there the imagination element to it combined with the sort of references of like what you've, you know, sort of like everything you've, you know, encountered visually over the course of your lifetime. I, I think I take certain elements from my culture and then and then make it big. Yeah. For instance, if I if I'm looking at my grandfather's, uh, I'm thinking about my grandfather from my mother's side. He had a stool that was made of mud. And then when I thought of those memories, I pick up that stool and make it the center of attention and make it big. And then. When I carve and put details, I would put things from my cultural uh, activities that they used to do, yeah. which is mainly now in the landscapes of, of farming in the fields. Right. Yeah. And do you do you um do you have like other things that you've pulled from? Because I mean, since growing up and and you're in a very specific place. And, you know, you've traveled so much. Are you sort of like pulling in little bits and pieces from these other things that you've been seeing? Or you try to keep it pretty closed off as far as like all that other stuff and just stick with that sort of personal experience? You know what I mean? Of like, your, oh, yeah. Your... You mean like the fact that I'm here in Montana? Is there certain inspiration that I'm drawing from the places I'm, I'm walking around in or what I'm exposed to here? Yeah, could that be may sort of like yeah, yeah, that could sort of like uh, change my work a bit or add more. I think uh, when it comes to when it comes to that, I don't. I try to stick to my culture and right. draw inspiration from my culture. I have books. Maybe I buy some books, or I even go online on my history of culture. Uh, I had like a, a thesis I did in 2014 for my BTEC. So I, it was a quite a thick one with a bit of information. And I would also revisit it and read what I wrote and the things I researched about. They kind of trigger my, my mind to think of certain ideas. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't want to find myself deviating uh, from my work, which is rooted in my culture and ended up losing all that taste of culture. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, like I was thinking about, but, you know, when I went are, to... Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. But here in, uh, in Montana, it's more like farm areas so looking at the fields and the barbed wire, there are places that kind of like make me feel that I'm at home, I'm back at home, right. which gives me more power and, and, and ideas. Uh, and I would even take pictures of barbed wire and how they fence their, their area that Archibald. It right. looks like our fields back at home. Yeah. So even the... The mountains here and the landscapes, when you look at a distance, it looks like there are villages that you see from a 
distance, which helps me spiritually and it kind of like bring me brings me back at home, takes me back at home. Right. The the scene that I see. Yeah. I guess there's some comfort in that, you know, of like yeah. a resonance, you know, like you mm-hmm. feel like something. Yeah. But I, I mean, not just like place though, because like the reason I, I was thinking about like when I went to um, undergraduate school, you know, I kind of like was finding my way with the medium and just learning some stuff. And then when I went to grad school, there were so many different people from so many different places working in so many different ways that I did. I just wondered like, you know, like in ceramics, in sculpture there's there's specific materiality like you might see someone who's taking like a smooth you know something that they threw on the wheel and it's smooth and then they take a like a handmade tool and just like scrape a texture mm-hmm. into it and you're like oh yeah. man i never thought of that before you know what i mean and kind of get inspired <laughs> by that you know what i mean yeah just like musicians they may have like you know if you if you grow up in india and you play certain like ragas or like you're you're playing certain percussive things but then you travel to you know asia and you hear people playing like a taiko drum like yeah you might not just go get a taiko drum and start playing it but there might be something there that even though you want to stick to your sort of roots of the music yeah. that you know there might mm-hmm. be a, a timbre or a dynamic in that that you might mm-hmm. sort of like be like oh i'm gonna try to add a little bit of that into mm-hmm. what i do mm-hmm. and i just didn't know if that was something that you know, in the the materiality of what you're making, if it's open to that stuff, or if you're pretty much like, nope, I'm doing my thing. This is like, this is how I grew up and learned how to do this, and this is this is where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I think also the importance of listening to music kind of like brings more ideas, and it takes you to a different zone. Yeah, you can rip up some ideas too because I listen a lot to of to, from music and. It brings some ideas and things I never thought of. And when I hear the lyrics, uh, they remind me of things that I didn't thought of now. And then I would go and research and see. But also uh, in my details that you see in my work, uh, back there were a lot of details, but I tried to water them down so that I'm left with those I can say composite or meaningful ones within the theme that I'm working on. Right. And then what I do, I play around with shapes and, and depending on what I'm trying to express. Yeah. And then put the, put the same uh, textures and the elements because I'm, I'm more on, I'm more on uh, exploring the, the power of a woman in which they expressed during the time when our grandfathers were taken to the mines in Johannesburg to dig gold and diamonds. Then the women were left alone in the villages, taking care of all the hard work, yeah. going to the fields, looking after livestock, making sure the babies and everyone is fine. So I was kind of like honoring them and uh, and 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 bringing it out that they have strength that is different from ours and patience that is different from ours. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful thing to infuse into the work. You know, it's pretty great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you and 
I mean, obviously you're at a residency now um, and you've done a bunch. I mean, do you think in the future of like, oh, I want to maybe try this residency? Because there's so many, especially when it comes to ceramics. I know there's a lot of different places where you can go work and collaborate. I mean, do you do you envision like applying in different places and going to different parts of the world, you know? Uh, some, I don't plan too much about the residency. It, it happens as I live yeah. that I'm going to a certain place. Uh, but there is one that I would like to go and, and maybe do a summer residence for one month or three months, which is the, the one in Harvard. There's, they have one that? in Harvard. Uh, they have Harvard Office of Ceramics. I think uh-huh. they have a, a studio, a ceramic studio. There. Oh, that's that's cool. I didn't even know uh, they had that. That would be great. Yeah, I, I don't. It's ceramics is not part of the curriculum at Harvard, right? As far as I know, but they do have a community a ceramic residency program that I know of, which is also associated with the with the university yeah um you know when i i go to japan a lot because my family's extended family's japanese and we go to uh, this place a lot called tokoname which is a ceramics village it's one that there's like a handful of famous ceramics villages in japan and they have those i forget the name for it but it's the kilns that are built into a hill that you walk into they're just enormous and i couldn't help but think of when you were talking about bigger kilns of like Man, if you could get into one of those kilns where it's, I think they're yeah. wood fired or something. I don't know. It's different. Mm-hmm. My my knowledge on ceramics isn't that great, but I yeah. mean, these things were amazing. They were huge, you know, and they were built into a hill, which was kind of wild, you know. But yeah. the, people would make these amazing things, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think one guy was having the biggest kiln in the in the U.S. As far as I know. It's Canego. Mm-hmm. It's John Canego. It's in Ohio, I think so. He's having a huge kill that I would like to to go and make work. And- <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like that? That must yeah. be a lot of upkeep. You know what I mean? That's a that's a yeah. big operation. I think I think it's a uh, three times bigger than the one we have here. Uh, wow. Chipotle. Yeah, that's serious. Times, it's, it's huge, very <laughs> yeah. big. Yeah. I wonder if everyone like if you just have to make big work when you <laughs> when you're around yeah. that thing, it's just like, well, you know, I'm gonna make mm-hmm. something huge. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I mean, I, Oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say sometimes I I don't think too much about the work that I'm doing, the piece that I'm building. Uh because I also want to be surprised when I'm done. Right. You say, wow. That's why I know I I I don't I don't sketch to to remake through ceramics. If I sketch, I sketch, I might not doesn't mean I'll I'll make it in studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But because I'm always in studio, I find it not necessary to sketch. I just transfer the idea immediately because I'm I'm always spending my time in studio. And as I, mine is to control sometimes the piece and let it, it directs me to the, to the point where it wants to go. Yeah. Because the, the, 
there's a communication between the artist and, and the piece. So I kind of give it that room to go where it wants to go, but I just control it. And as I control it and, and see what it needs there and there. Yeah. Right, it's almost By like time, sketching as you go, right? Like improvising. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes I also understand my works after I'm done making it. Yeah. Some, yeah. Those that I I know exactly what I want to do before I do it, kind of like boring process than not knowing because it's exciting when I'm, I don't really know exactly, but I have an idea of where it's going. But yeah, yeah at the end of producing, building it, I, I understand, okay, yeah, I see what is this uh, and the meaning of it. Yeah. yeah, it's a really nice way to work because it's almost like you're, in a way, you're like learning from yourself. Like you work intuitively or you're improvising and then afterwards you're like, oh, that's what I was doing. You know, it's kind of like self-discovery in a way, which yeah. is nice. I mean, I used to, I used to, in my earlier, more abstract work, I did a lot of improvisation and, you know, I didn't know what they were going to look like. And uh, yeah. over time I started composing things and getting more interested in, you know, like an image and then I would build the image and it's, you know, it's not too, too different from like the sketches that I do in a way. I mean, it is, but um, there's like, there's an advantage to both, I think, but it is really nice whenever you can start something you have kind of, you know, you're not really sure where it's going to turn up, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, That's it's, like, it's, it's like writing music too. Those people get in a room and just jam, you know, they have no mm-hmm. clue. And then mm-hmm. they come out of that room with like, you know, an hour's long worth of music. That's just amazing that they never would have thought or could have mm-hmm. written out beforehand. And then there's people who will sit in a room and write a song and it's beautiful. You know, it's just like, it takes them a while and they compose it and it's got its different yeah. parts and it's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. So it's kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a, an art to both ways of working, I think. Yeah. I, I think at first when you start building and when you are halfway, you can sort of pick up and see where it's leading you to. Yeah. And, the, and then you just take it to where it wants to go. Right. So, yeah, that happens yeah, a lot in, in my studio practice. Is, is there any, like, new music that you've been listening to? Not necessarily newly made or, like, new things that you've been listening to in the studio or just in life that you're really excited about? I I I listen I don't listen to one and the same music, but mostly African. They call it Mbaganga. I listen to reggae, I listen to jazz, I listen, I listen to Afropop, I listen to any kind of music that I find very interesting. And I listen to mostly to African music of divine healers. And, yeah. Yeah. And try to get some new songs and, and listen to them. It's amazing. I, yeah, I took this really great course in college um, about music and the movement of music through the world and how it influenced other music and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the birth of a lot of music is from Africa. And it's yeah. so like in learning about African music, it's so amazing how diverse it is through Africa. 
like the different mm-hmm. i mean like you know more traditional stuff from like mozambique to sort of like high life i mean it's so different but there's still that kind of like that rhythmic i don't know there's like a core yeah. rhythmic pulse to it that's just uh i think is really connected to daily life which is kind of beautiful yeah yeah there's also an instrument called imbiri which i use it i use it as a symbol in my work which represent entirely music because in my culture we call it isandi sumtulo meaning the sound of music mm-hmm. uh, awakens our spirit so hence having it in my work to represent music yeah it was loved by our grand grandfathers even when they are working in the fields they would talk and talk gossip until there's nothing to talk about and then they'll just sing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's great man it's yeah. the, the one thing that's amazing about music too is uh i feel like you can always discover there's like it's endless in a way there's always more mm-hmm. to discover which like i've really been getting into this kind of like brazilian sort of like dj like ballet funk stuff that's just real crunchy and rhythmic and <laughs> you know and it's just like i i never did a deep dive into this stuff before and like i knew a little bit about it but you know it's just cool to find like a genre and just be like okay i'm just gonna like dive yeah. in here and there's so much mm-hmm. great music mm-hmm. out there going on yeah even me i listen to music that i don't understand its lyrics uh, but it's nice it's enjoyable yeah for sure um so what do you have do you have anything coming up or like what for people who are listening who may not know your work or may not have seen it like is there anything you have that you want to share with people or where they can find your work like what's the best way for them to keep track of what you're doing and what you have coming up well i'm currently uh, focusing on producing and uh, exploring some ideas here at Archibre and expressing myself and challenging myself. And uh, there are no works that are out there currently or shown anywhere, not unless a gallery bought some work some time ago and they are mm-hmm. showing it somewhere. Right. But I am aware that there are pieces exhibited in in Design Miami. Mm-hmm. It's, in, it's now in Switzerland. Yeah. There are pieces that I know of that are shown there. And uh, there are also exhibitions coming up next year. Uh, and I will share details as as the time gets closer. As they solidify, it's, right? As the yeah, dates get nailed down and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah when everything is. But uh, currently I'm just uh, working and sharing my, my images on my Instagram page, which yeah. is Simpuambunyoza. Yeah, they can see me there on Facebook, Simpuambunyoza. But um, there's also another show which is currently taking place at Archibre mm-hmm. for, the, for the current resident artists and the, the ones that are exiting this year. So I have three pieces that are shown. It's a group uh, show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are no works that I really have that are showing in any color out there, not unless I'm not aware of. 
But uh, if people follow you on Instagram, that's where they'll find out about where you're going to have your shows and stuff like that. Yes, about the dates and whatever I do, they will see it there. They won't miss my show. Yeah. I will will communicate more. Sounds good. Well, like I told you in the beginning, I mean, I've been a, a, a distant, from a distance, I haven't been able to see your show, like your shows, but I've just been following the work for a while and really love it, man. It just looks really great. So um, I'm really happy that we were able to do this and that we could talk mm-hmm. about your work and share your work with all the people who listen to this. So thanks so much yeah. for taking the time. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate for considering me uh, to be one of your in the people you interview. So yeah, it's an honor, a privilege. Thank you, man. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com or checking out images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. Make sure you check out Sinfewe's work. You can check it out on his website or on Instagram. And if you happen to be in Montana, you could swing by the Archie Brave and see some of his work there. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their long-withstanding sponsorship. I just got a group of new paintings going, and Golden is definitely making it happen. Uh, The gesso and their paints are incredible, so make sure you check them out. Also, Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for the caffeine to enable me to make that work, and uh, I can't recommend them highly enough. Their subscription uh, coffee bean program is, is great. They just will send to your doorstep amazing coffee, and you can get it rotated on different kinds of coffee, and uh, you won't be disappointed. You could use the code Alfred Studio to save on the order. Also, thank you to the New York Studio School. Make sure you check out those summer marathon sessions that they're going to be running. And many thanks to all of you for listening and leaving ratings and reviews, subscribing, sharing with friends, posting about it, or getting the book Why I Make Art, which is the official book of the podcast. Uh, many thanks to everyone who's done that. And uh, stay tuned. we got some more great episodes coming up. <laughs>